Welcome to the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. We are now in proper 26, and you will notice on your screen the listing of the scriptures for this coming week. And you'll see NEH, Nehemiah, and Ezra for the Old Testament, and I'll explain what Nehemiah and Ezra are in just a minute. We're looking at Revelation in the New Testament. And we continue with the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew. And as you will recall, in the books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we go through literally just about the whole thing. There are some passages that are left out. But we'll be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John for an extended period of time. Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are history books. The last history book is Esther. And after Esther is Job, so we start the wisdom literature. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah have to do with the restoration. Now, if you were paying attention or participatory or heard me the last several weeks, you heard that the nation of Israel went into exile about 587 B.C. Jerusalem was destroyed, the wall was torn down, the temple was destroyed. People were carried in captivity to Babylon, 2 Kings 25. The reason this happened, the cause, was because the people had abandoned the Lord, and the Lord raised up the Babylonians and destroyed the people of Israel. Now, he protected them with a remnant. Many were sent into captivity. And as you remember last week, we talked about the restoration. We talked about, in the previous weeks, the restoration through Cyrus. Go to Ezra chapter 1 at the very end of 2 Kings 25. Now, we are looking at Ezra and Nehemiah this week, and we are restoring Jerusalem. We are restoring the people. Now, there's two ways to do it, spiritually and physically. Nehemiah is very much concerned with the physical restoration. He's also very much concerned spiritually. Ezra is also concerned, but his emphasis is on the spiritual component. The people need to get back right with God, and the people need to rebuild the temple, and they need to rebuild the walls, so that they can protect themselves from incoming enemies. Nehemiah chapter 5, 1 to 19 on Sunday for proper 26. Nehemiah helps the poor. And so the poor are taken care of. And so this is a wonderful chapter about the importance of taking care of one another. So Nehemiah, as I said, not only saw the physical rebuild to be significant for the people of Israel, but also taking care of others. Beautiful uh, idea that we can take home. Nehemiah chapter 6, <clears throat> not everyone is keen on the rebuilding of the wall. When word came to sell Balat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up until that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us 
meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Anno. This is in chapter 6. But they were scheming to harm me. Can you imagine someone trying to kill or hurt Nehemiah for the valiant, courageous, wonderful thing that he had done? So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Read that chapter and enjoy. Verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Ehol, Elul, in 52 days they completed the wall. When our, all of our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, what I love about the Old Testament, what I love about the people of Israel, is they did not just exist as an entity unto themselves. Now, remember, the countries at that time all had gods, but all of them were pagan except Israel's God, who was, in fact, the God of the living and the dead. He was the one that created the universe. He is the one that creates us all. And so, with the help of God, with the help and mercy of God, and the love of God, Nehemiah was able to get this project finished. Let's go to chapter 12. Turn to chapter 12, the last chapter. Chapter 12, 27 to 31. And he talks about dedicating the wall of Jerusalem. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, verse 27, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So they were going to sing, and they were going to dance, and they were going to rejoice in the Lord, and they are going to thank God for all the great things he had done. Now that is a beautiful way to live your life and to glorify God by rejoicing in what he's done for you and rejoicing in all the ways that he has blessed you and all the ways that he's blessed me. And so we need to recount those blessings and we need to rejoice and be glad. This is one of the reasons that coming to church regular on a weekly basis is so important because we are praising and glorifying the Lord for who he is in taking care of us and loving us and restoring us. In chapter 13, we have the last chapter and we have Nehemiah's final reforms. Nehemiah's final reforms. Verse 22, remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. So the mercy of God, the last verse uh, in your reading this week, the mercy of God. Thank God for the life of Nehemiah. Thank God that he was faithful. Thank God that even though people were trying to kill him, to try to harm him, trying to destroy him, try to stop him from building the wall, that he persevered with the help of his God, that he trusted the Lord and the Lord took care of him. Let's turn to the left and go back to Ezra. We'll be looking at Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 1 through 26, more specifically, 11 to 26. He sends a letter to the king, 
Verse 14, you are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the Lord of your, the law, I'm sorry, the law of your God, which is in your hand. You are to take with you the silver and gold and the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the free will offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. And then he begins to tell them what to do with all of that and what is in that letter. Look at verse 26. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Now remember, the Ezra was going to teach the people the word of God and establish the law of Israel. Law needed to be reestablished with their absence. And when people had come back again in the re restoration, he was working with the king and the law of the Lord. All right? So order had to be reestablished. As I said earlier, they had to build back the wall of Jerusalem, which was Nehemiah's project. And they had to really kind of start all over again so that Israel could be once again established. Now, what are we going for? We are going toward the preparation and the coming of the Messiah, which of course is Jesus, which we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Enjoy reading Ezra and Nehemiah as we talk about and they discuss the restoration, that after looking at Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, that finally we get to the point where in their poverty and in their, if you will, their lamentation and their sin against God, God restores them. It's a great lesson for all of us that God can and does restore us back to himself for those who will listen to and obey the law of the Lord. Now, Revelation, as I said, last week is a very, very difficult book. And since I am constricted by a significant time frame, I'm going to do my best to say a few things about the chapters that are listed. Now, the first two chapters are about the churches, the seven churches in the area. In the first three chapters, I'm sorry. The first chapter is about Jesus and how great he is. And then we saw last week in chapters 4 and 5, these wonderful depictions of the Lamb of God and, and of Christ and uh, worshiping in eternity. Just beautiful. And then we looked at the seals in chapter 7, another wonderful chapter. Um, this often, the seventh chapter, is one of the chapters listed for funerals because it's very uplifting and it's very hopeful. This week, we'll be looking at Revelation 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, and 17. Now, I must admit to you right from the start that Revelation is complex. It's complicated. It assumes that you know a lot. In my view, it assumes you know everything before Revelation. It assumes that you and I have a wonderful understanding of the Old Testament and also a wonderful understanding of Christ in the Gospels and of Paul's work in Hebrews and James and John and Peter, Jude, so that when they look at the end and they look at this apocalyptic literature, which again, you'd have to know something about. What's the genre? Apocalyptic. What does that mean? You have dreams, you have visions, 
you have angels, you have unseen things. There's a lot going on here. And a lot of this is more difficult than most people can deal with because the background required to study this material, most people don't have the tools to do it. However, what's important is to read it. Read it. Read it anyway. Read it if you don't understand it. What you want it to happen is to get inside of you and God begin to work in you. Okay, you, have, you understand what I mean. Again, chapter 10, titled, the chapter entitled The Angel and the Little Scroll. A mighty angel coming down from heaven, robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. Then it talks about it. So we see the presence of angels in Revelation. In chapter 11, verses 1 to 19, which is pretty much the whole chapter. The kingdom of the world, I like this verse, verse 15, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom that will never end. And so the eternality of the kingdom is a very important theological truth. Verse 18. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name. So those of us, and I pray it's all of you, that are faithful to the Lord and love him are going to be rewarded for your diligence, your courage, your patience, your perseverance, your self-discipline. And those of us that have not been faithful, well, that's going to be a whole different story. But let's not talk about that because we assume that all of you are going to, are people that follow the Lord, that love the Lord. And so there's not a problem there in terms of your being judged eternally to die rather than being judged eternally to live. So Revelation gives us a picture of the coming kingdom. Revelation chapter 12, the woman of the dragon, very famous text. Verse 10, now come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our, accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. How do you overcome in the, this life? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We need to know the word of God, brothers and sisters. We need to know the scriptures. We need to be able to quote the scriptures. We need to be able to overcome by God's blood in Christ, who gives us the victory only in Christ. Beautiful chapter, chapter 12. Then we skip to chapter 14, the lamb and the 144,000. Verse 6, I saw another angel flying in the midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim. That's a pretty strong statement. The eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Well, that's a good, that's a good text. What advice can you give me today, Father Reed, for living my life? Fear God, give him the glory. Don't take any glory for yourself. Don't take any patting on the back for yourself. Fear God, give him glory. Thank God. Live a life of love. Live a life of thankfulness and gratefulness. Live a life of service to the Lord. Revelation 14, verse 12. This calls for patience endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. 
Again, I hope and pray all of us obey God's commandments, verse 12, chapter 14, and we remain faithful to Jesus. I'm praying for you. Remain faithful to Jesus. Remain in him. Know his commandments. Keep them by the Spirit of our God. Chapter 15, seven angels with seven plagues. Again, another beautiful line in verse 3. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of all the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? Certainly not any of us. We're going to fear the Lord and bring glory to his name, as I just said. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. When God shows himself to be righteous and great, we need to honor that. We need to praise God. We need to thank God. We need to submit to that. We need to worship him and praise him. And finally, for our reading, Revelation 17. Again, you may not understand it all. If you have a study Bible, read the notes. There are several key verses that I'm going over with you right now that are very, very good. Now, we're talking about the beast. You've heard a lot about that, I'm sure. Look, verse 14. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings and will be and will and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. No matter what the interpretation of the Antichrist or the beast or the 666 is, and this dangerous person that's going to be raised up, the lamb will overcome. That's what you and I need to remember. Jesus is going to be victorious. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with him will be his called, his chosen, and his faithful followers. And my prayer for all of us is that we will be faithful followers of the Lord and ultimately his faithful followers. So, Revelation 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, and 17 may be foreign to you, but there's, some, there's several good scriptures, several good sentences, if you will, several, several good verses in each of these that I think you will find very, very good. All right, let's go to Matthew 13, going back to the everyday life of Jesus in his three-year ministry. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, so now we've gone from the end of the New Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew is the first book. Matthew 13, 36. Parable of the weeds explained. So oftentimes Jesus will share a parable with the disciples and then he will tell them what it means. We see the parable of the weeds earlier in chapter 13 and then he will explain that text to them in these verses. Chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. I love these verses. These are two of my favorite parables. They're very short, but they're very powerful. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So imagine that, treasure's hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Now we don't know if he was looking for it or he stumbled upon it. All we know is that he found it. The treasure was there. He found it. He hid it again because he didn't want anybody else to 
have it or know about it. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. That field became for him the primary thing in his life. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of God is the greatest treasure you will ever have. How much will you give up for it? How much will you and I give up for it? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Now he's actually looking, whereas the first guy might not have been looking. But he could have been. Doesn't say for sure. When he found one of great value, so he found a pearl of great price, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. What's the value of the kingdom? Sell everything you have. It's worth everything that you and I have. The parable of the net, another good parable, a little bit longer, but not too long. And then finally, a prophet without honor. So you would think that everybody in Nazareth would all be excited about Jesus. Contraire. Where did this man get this wisdom and other miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? We, we know who this guy is. We've lived with this guy. We lived, he lived here for 20, 30 years. So what's the big deal? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? They took offense at him. Jesus said to him, them, only in his hometown, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He was honored everywhere else except where he lived and where he was raised, where he grew up. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Brothers and sisters, do not let your lack of faith keep you from receiving from God. And finally, we see the story about John the Baptist being beheaded. Tragic story. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Basically, Jesus is proclaiming that he alone can satisfy and he can literally feed 5,000 with very little. How are you being sustained? How are you being nurtured? How are you being fed? And the last scripture has to do with Jesus walking on water. Yep, there's the scripture for walking on water. It's right there. So he feeds 5,000 plus, besides women and children. So when you count the women and children, it's a big number. He walks on the water. Take courage to desire, verse 27, don't be afraid. In verse 32, they worship him. Truly you are the son of God. Who else could walk on water? And yet, oftentimes, that was not something that tipped people over to his side. We require faith. We require an understanding of the word of God. So, as you're reading the word of God this week, I pray that God would give you wisdom and God would give you revelation and understanding as you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, the book of Revelation, the center part of it, and then the continued journey of Jesus in Matthew 13 and 14. God bless you. And we'll see you next week for the Word of God.